as I've been driving around the streets uh, through Southern California, I've been a little anxious. Not, not because my car is 10 years old, and not because my brakes are squeaking, uh, but because of the guests that we have, the million to billion butterflies. You guys seen those? Has anybody, does it cause any anxiety for you guys when you're driving? Like, I don't want to hit these little things. I'm, I'm cheering for them. All right, they're migrating from Mexico all the way through Southern California, through California into the Pacific Northwest. I don't know exactly where they're going up there, but that's a long journey. Right, and I'm cheering for them. I'm like, way to go. You guys can do it. I love seeing them. They're just, they're not like messing around and dancing around. They're just on a mission. They're just going straight up north. So I love it. I love that they're, uh, they're on that mission. I want to cheer for them. I'm, I'm constantly saying like, fly higher. <laughs> fly higher. Right? I mean, they're at four or five feet off the ground. They're a perfect, you know, space for my car to hit them. And my daughter doesn't like that I hit butterflies, and I don't like it either. So I'm like driving like a maniac, like swerving, you know, pushing the brakes, all that kind of stuff. I, the other day I was just driving down the street. There's a whole bunch of them. I'm honking my horn. It's like go down the residential street. My daughter's like, I don't think they're hearing you. Um, the point is I, I don't want them to give up. I want them to get where they're going, right? I wonder about that, though. I kind of wonder how many of them are like, you know, gone a long ways from Mexico all the way over here. It's beautiful right now. There's lots of poppies. There's green grass. I wonder if any of them are just like, this looks really nice. It's probably just as good as Oregon or Washington. Let's just, let's just give up and settle in here. You know, who could blame them? But I'm pretty sure they're going north. I'm pretty sure they're on a mission. It's easy to give up, and we know a lot about giving up because we give up all the time, don't we? We have our New Year's resolutions. It was not even, you know, that long ago. How many of you guys have given up on your New Year's resolution? None? Okay, how many of you made one? <laughs> See, none of you. I made one and I gave up on it in the middle of February. So I gave up. We know what giving up is. We give up all the time on, um, on all sorts of things because Sticking through something takes persistence. T sticking through to the end takes a lot of dedication and willpower. Right? Whenever uh, any of you guys diet, you know, and you're trying to, uh, you know, stay away from the, the sugars and the calories, you know, it's not hard to stay away from ice cream and chocolate cake at 8.30 in the morning. Right? But 8.30 at night, after you've been through a whole day, and you've made decisions, and your willpower is waning, and you just need to treat yourself, that's when it's hard, right? It's hard. We, we understand what it's like. There's a reason why Steve Jobs, whenever you see him, is wearing a black turtleneck. Every time, right? Um, or Michael Kors, a designer, always wearing a black t-shirt and a sports coat. Like, you're a designer. Can't you be more creative than that? But these guys, they, they make decisions all day long. The last thing they want to do is waste a decision on clothing. And so they just wear the same thing all the time. Save their willpower for later on so they don't give up, so they don't quit. Friends, we are talking about this because this is what Paul talks to the church in Thessalonica about. It's a church that's not giving up on their diets. They're not giving up on their migration or anything like that. 
They're in danger of giving up on their faith. And that's a much more serious thing. You have a church that was young in their faith and young in their understanding. Paul was with them. He shared Christ. They came to know him. And shortly after that, he left and taught them as much as they could. And they had some other good teachers like Timothy would come through. But they're young in their faith. And they're wondering how long they can keep going. Because now they're being persecuted. The church is being persecuted. Their lives are in danger. They've watched some of their loved ones from the church have already been killed, have already died. And they're wondering if they can stick with it or if they will give up. Their son's coach has been giving them angry looks. Their daughter's tutor has been saying bad things about them. The grocer has been giving them death threats. And their life is in danger. And they're wondering, can they keep going? In chapter 4, Paul told them, like, don't give up. Because they were thinking, like, well, maybe it's like those of you guys who were around in 1999 with Y2K. Remember that? People were saying, oh, let's just sell everything. Let's move up to the hills and all that. I think they were thinking the same thing. Maybe we just sell everything. We stop working. We just go live away from the persecution. And we just ride out our days out there. And Paul said, don't give up. Don't do that. You're a light. Keep shining where you're at. But these are the things that they're wondering about. But one of the key items that they need to know is when is Christ coming back? When's he going to come back? Because that depends, right? If it's a long time, then maybe selling their house and all that food, maybe it, it won't be worth it. But if it's, you know, just a few months or a year, they can do that. So they're asking about this day of the Lord. When will that happen? The day of the Lord is a topic that fills the scriptures. It's all through here. You can't read the minor prophets without finding these quotes about the day of the Lord. Right? The day of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's probably over 200 references. Speaking of this time when Christ, or excuse me, when God will come back. Right? And it's a day of vengeance. It's a day to be feared. It's a day where he will take care of all the injustice. That was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's all that plus this new picture of Christ returning, returning for the elect, returning for his people. And there's a little bit more joy in that. There's a little more excitement. But with all these references, it's not a surprise that the early church is wondering when this day of the Lord will happen. When's it going to be? I mean, it was only probably, I don't know, 30 years or so when Jesus ascended into the heavens. Remember what the angels told the disciples said, just in the same way as he went up in the heavens, he's going to return for you. And that was 30 some odd years ago. And thinking, okay, it's probably about time that he'll come back. These are the thoughts. These are the questions that are on their minds. And this is what Paul writes to them about. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, that's our passage today, about not giving up. I'll read it for you, and we'll see what Paul tells him. He says this, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and then they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. The day of the Lord is at the center of this, and the day of the Lord is sure to come. But Paul says, I want you to focus on all the right things. Focus on you being the light. Focus on your salvation. Focus on being awake and alert for him when he returns. As I walk through the passage, there's three words to remember. Three words. They all start with A. should be pretty easy. Avoid, affirm, and adopt. Okay, that'll be our three words. Avoid, affirm, and adopt. Let's start with the first one. Avoid. Avoid being sidetracked with secondary things. Avoid being sidetracked with those things that are not quite as important, but instead focus on what really matters. Focus on the primary things. How we so easily get sidetracked. Here they are asking about times and dates. Paul, Paul, please tell us when he's coming. What is the date? What is the time so we can be ready and we can prepare? It's a good enough question. Right? But that's an, um, not an important thing. That's being sidetracked by the details. And Paul says, I don't want you being sidetracked. So there's many people that have been sidetracked by that. Some of the disciples even. Right? In Mark 14 or 13 and in Matthew 24, similar passage that tells us that Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked Jesus privately, Hey, Jesus, tell us when these things are going to happen. Tell us when the day of the Lord is going to come. And he gives them another 32 or so verses on the day of the Lord and just what it's going to mean and the significance of it. Tells them all that, but then mainly he says, but I want you to be alert. I want you to be awake and be ready for it. They ask again in the beginning of Acts after he's resurrected. They said, now is now the time the day of the Lord is going to come. He says, be focused on your mission. Go out to the ends of the world, making disciples. But in Stop There, throughout history, we've seen these things, right? We've heard this. Maybe you have too. Started, I think the first one that I saw was some early theologians that, that predicted the date of about 500 A.D. That, that would be the date that Christ would return. And large part of that was based on the measurements of Noah's Ark, <laughs> That's funny. Just measured the ark for every foot. That's another year. So probably take about 500 years. But that came in mass, right? 
after the printing press, kind of one of the first big books after the printing press got going was a book by a Scottish mathematician, John Napier, who wrote a book called A Plain Discovery of the Whole Revelation of St. John that was published in 1593. And in that book, he said, here's when the day of the Lord is going to be. It's going to be in 1688. And then he said, but if not, then it's going to be at 1700. It's going to be one of those two. <laughs> that was one of the first big sellers. Sold lots of copies, multiple uh, presses on that. Sold a lot of books until 1700. <laughs> Didn't sell so many after that. When I was a kid, actually it was written before I was born, but Hal Lindsey wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. So I grew up in the 70s, 80s, and this book was like all the church leaders, all the youth pastors, all them had read this. And he didn't give a date and a time, but he did kind of give a, a framework. And he looked at Matthew 24 and talks about uh, a reference to Israel and this new bud and, and that Christ would return within a generation of that. And so he just looked at it and just said, well, that must be Israel. They became a new nation in 1948. So it's with one generation. That's 40 years. So therefore, 1988 should be about the time when he returns. I remember as a kid being in high school right around that time, and this was like the conversation, like, Jesus could return. Are you ready for his return? He could happen. I remember being on a youth trip, and we were going from Fresno to L.A., or L.A. to Fresno. I can't remember what direction, but we stopped at the Grapevine. You know, right up in the mountain up there, there's a Carl's Jr. We'd always stop there because at Carl's Jr., the bus driver, if he, bought, if he brought all the kids, that he would get a free lunch, so... Our bus drivers always get free lunches there. So I remember being at the payphone at that time and seeing this long sticker stuck to the payphone that says, 88 reasons why Christ will return in 1988. It's fascinating. But got us all, we're excited. We got excited about that. 1988 came and passed. Christ did not return. In college, early 90s, there was a speaker that came and spoke to us, and he had figured out a little different equation just looking at the numbers and the number seven and all the centuries and would say 2000, the year 2000 is when Christ is going to return. And so you go from 88 being all excited to now 2000, we're getting ready. With Y2K, that even built, you know, all the anticipation. But that didn't happen either. So we keep waiting. There's a, one more prediction right now for June 8th of this year. That's for some other guys that Christ is returning on June 8th. But here's what I know. Christ will not return on June 8th. <laughs> Can we just stop making predictions? We got to stop making predictions because every time you all make predictions, we know that it's not going to be that date, not be that date, just to stop. And let's wait for him to come. But we get sidetracked with these things, and they're fascinating. They build our hope and anticipation, but what we know right here is that nobody knows the date or the hour, not even... Jesus, not the angels, only the Father. These people wanted an accurate chronology, but Paul says, no, I'm going to give you an accurate theology. So Alistair Begg says, chronology without theology equals mythology. So Paul says right here, here's what I'm going to tell you. First things first, you don't got to worry about this, okay? Like I said, there's only one person that knows the day or the hour, and it's not me. It's not Paul. It's only God the Father, so stop asking. We don't know. So, so we don't know when the time will come, but here's what we do know. When he does come, it'll be like a thief in the night. 
leave for the night. Quiet, stealth, unannounced, secret. See, because no good thief is going to go put up a message saying at 11.35 a.m. when you're at the grocery store, I'm going to steal your stuff. We would know that. All right? Jesus even says, no, nobody does that. If we knew when the thief would come, we'd be awake and alert and ready for him. But we never know. So here's what we do know. When Christ returns, it will be like a thief in the night. Quiet. A secret. People will be saying, peace and safety. Things are good. Lord couldn't possibly come now. But that's exactly when he comes. So when you least expect it, expect it. It'll be secret. It will be sudden. The day of the Lord will be, will come suddenly. Just like any woman knows who's had a baby, you know the labor pains are coming. You know the Braxton Hicks and all that kind of stuff are coming. You just don't know when. You can anticipate. You're getting a little bit closer. It's probably soon, but they come, and they come suddenly. We know it will come. As we look at Christ's return, we don't know when it will be, but we do know it's going to come. It's going to come secretly. It's going to come suddenly. But he says this. He says, Paul, you're asking me, Paul, Paul, when are you going to come? I can't tell you. But you, you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you who are followers of him, it shouldn't be a secret to you. It shouldn't be a surprise right? Why? Because we have to affirm who you are. That's our second point. Affirm who you are, that you are a child of the light. You are a child of the day, and for that reason, it shouldn't surprise you. Though his return is secret, though it's sudden, you won't be surprised when you hear his shout. You won't be surprised when you hear the shout of the archangel, when you hear the trumpet of God, when you see the angels going around the earth picking up the elect. You won't be surprised because you're a child of the light, child of the day. That's what he says in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. He says, but you brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness, so this day should not surprise you like a thief. See that? shouldn't surprise you because you're a child of the light, a child of the day. means we're not asleep. We haven't dozed off. We're paying attention. We're looking. We're seeing. We're checking on things. We're ready for it. You ever hear a noise just in the middle of the day? You're at home and you just hear a noise outside. You don't worry. Right? You don't think about it. It could be could be a UPS guy dropping off a box. It could be your neighbor mowing the grass. It could be some kids riding their bikes or whatever. You don't think anything of it. It's during the day. And if you are concerned, you go, you look out the window, and you're like, ah, oh, just the kids riding their bikes. Now, those, those same noises at night freak you out a little bit, huh? You get a little bit weird when you hear those noises, and you're like, what's that? What's that? And you try to look out the window, but all you can see is a reflection, and it's a little bit more scary says, you shouldn't be shocked. You shouldn't be scared because you are a child of the day. You live in, in the day. Spiritually speaking, once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a child of the light. I know we go out here afterwards. It's a beautiful day. It's bright. 
looks glorious. Maybe later today you're going to go for a walk or a hike or just spend some time outside. It's a beautiful day. You should. Outside, it's bright physically, but spiritually, he says this world is a dark place. It's a dark place. And people do bad things in the dark. The other day, Tuesday morning, I came to my office over in Anaheim. I pulled in a little parking lot, and I look at right next to my window. It's right there. There's some artwork there from the side of the building. Some cute little kid got a little black spray paint and left me some artwork. It was so nice. But I'm sitting there saying, I didn't see him do this, you know, during the day. He didn't do that right after school. No, because he did it at night. That's when those things happen. Graffiti artists come at night. They do that. Other things happen at night. This world is a dark place. We shouldn't be surprised by that. But you are not in the darkness. You belong to Christ. You are in the light. John 1, when it talks about Jesus, it introduces him. How does it describe him? The true light is coming into the world. The true light shines in the darkness. In 1 John, John loves this whole imagery of light because in 1 John 1, it talks about God is in the light and in him there's no darkness at all. In Revelation 21 and 22, and it talks about the new heavens, the new earth. You notice there's no sun. The sun's gone because God is the light for the whole world. He says, you are a child of this light. You are a child of the day. You have the DNA of the light of God in your life. And so what do you do as a child of God who has a DNA of, of, of Christ? You shine. You shine in the darkness. Affirm who you are. You are a child of God. You are the light. You shine. Well, how do we shine? How do we shine as a light in this dark world? We live out the values of God's word. We live out these values and we reflect him. We love our neighbors. Not because they're worthy of it, but because Christ tells us to. We love him. We worship him. We share the gospel. We tell about him to those people around us. You don't simply shine because at your little cubicle you put a sign that says, repent and believe, or anything like that. That's not shining. We don't shine just because we hire a Christian plumber. That's not shining. However, I'll say this. This is kind of cool. You can be a Christian plumber and shine brightly. We had a, an issue this last week where we needed a plumber. And this little slab leak wasn't too bad. I didn't know that at the time. So I, I did what we all do. We go find a plumber. I don't know any plumbers. So I went on Yelp and found a guy. He had a lot of stars. And uh, I called him, and he came over. And uh, pretty cool. He was just a, a, seemed like a good guy. Seemed fair, reasonable. But when we're talking a slab leak, you know, the dollars build up. And he could see that we were looking a little anxious. So he's like, hey. I see some Bible verses around your house. Can I, I'm a Christian. I go to Salvac Church. Can I pray for you? <laughs> the plumber is on our couch praying for us. How cool is that? 
He got the job. All right, he got it. I didn't even go through insurance. I'm like, I'm paying you. I love it. But cool story of just letting your light shine. Wherever you're at, if he can do it, you can do it. We can all do this. But what do Christians do? We shine. Wherever God puts us. Affirm your identity. You are a child of the light, a child of the day. What do you need to do? He tells us there in verse 6. He says, be awake and be alert. Don't fall asleep. Don't doze off. Don't be sidetracked. But he says what Jesus, whenever Jesus talks about this, he says the same thing. Be alert. Be on guard. Paul says the same thing. Be alert. Be on guard. Don't fall asleep. Be awake and sober. Watch. Don't give up. Don't let down your guard. Don't fall asleep on your post. That's bad. And that's not acceptable for children of the light. I read an article this week in a, on, the, on the internet, but it was at a trustworthy site. It was the New York Times. All right, so I read this article thinking that um, it was pretty insightful. It said that uh, a soldier had fallen asleep uh, at his post and he's being disciplined. The discipline is that he's being shot by his, um, by his uh, battalion. He fell asleep on August 31st between 3 and 4 when he should have been on, on guard. But he fell asleep. He was woken up, and he was in some trouble. And so he was going to be shot by all of his soldiers until the president stepped in and gave him a pardon. And I'm like, I'm in the military, and I didn't even know they did that anymore. I'm like, that's crazy. I can't even imagine that. And then I'm like, I didn't even hear about the president pardoning. You know, that's kind of big news. But I'm reading about it now. Really fascinating. Well, I looked a little deeper, and the story was written September 10th, 1861. <laughs> Five months into the Civil War, right? And it was President Lincoln that gave him a pardon. But I didn't know that. I mean, it was like written exactly like any other article, you know, with all the ads on the side and all that kind of stuff. Just fascinating. Totally like April Fool's, early April Fool's. Totally got me, but it was one of these, you know, like, we're reprinting, you know, old newspapers or whatever. But it just reminded me, like, falling asleep, even still, is not good. And here he says, you guys are children of light. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep at your post. Be alert. Be on guard. Why? Because there's a battle going on. You're in a battle. We don't feel it. We don't see it. We're not being persecuted. It's hard to understand that we're in a battle, but when we look spiritually, we see we are. There's a battle that rages. Paul says a little bit later in Ephesians, he said, this, this battle's not about flesh and blood. You guys aren't fighting each other. You shouldn't be. The battle is in the unseen. That's where the war is, and you've got to be ready. Be ready for that. Be alert. Be awake and shine in the darkness. Avoid, affirm who you are. And last, adopt. Adopt. Adopt a strategy for how to live. Adopt a strategy for purity. While we wait, let's live a pure life. While we wait, let's live a life that affirms who we are. It says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. 
He says, God did not appoint you for wrath, but for salvation through Jesus Christ. He died for you. Now we get to live for him and be with him forever. He says, you should be encouraged by this. We, as children of the light, are holy people. We have to walk that way. We have to act that way. We got to act with holiness. Let that lead. He says, put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. You might have heard, remember, in Ephesians, when Paul talks about the whole armor of God, put on the whole armor of God. He's not going to write that for another 12 years. But he starts with this. He starts with the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Maybe he's building this idea over these 12 years. But right now he writes this and he goes back to Isaiah 59 where, where God is talking to the people and he says, you guys are in darkness. It literally says it. He says, you're in darkness because of your sin. This world is dark, but I've come to save. And he describes all of this. And then he finally says, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. I'm going to be clothed in zeal and I'm going to go out and save. And Paul says the same thing. He says, we are surrounded by darkness, but you guys are lights. Go out and live like it. Go live with love and righteousness and hope. Live a holy and pure life. Don't be sidetracked by what's around us because it's so easy to get sidetracked, isn't it? So easy to get sidetracked by the way the world tells us we need to live, by the priorities the world is telling us that we need to adopt, how we need to raise our children and what schools we need to get them in and what sports and all that kind of stuff. The world is telling us all this stuff. We get sidetracked. Not that it's all bad. But is it right here? Is it the priorities of God? Is it the priorities of heaven? Are we living our lives to represent our Savior who has appointed you for salvation, who has died for you so that you could live eternally? Adopt a pure life. Wear that armor. Fight that battle. Stay awake. Stay alert. And know that whatever happens, whether you live or die, you are appointed for salvation because Christ died for you. Because he died for you, we get to live for him. We're not going to give up. And we're not going to get weary. We're going to keep on going and going and going until the Lord calls us home. Amen? On Thursday at 9.30 in the morning, there's a man that is part of our congregation in Anaheim. His name is Leonard Eggert. And Leonard, on Thursday, took his last breath here on earth and entered eternity. He met his Savior. He met his Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for him, who he lived for. Leonard was three, less than three months away from being 102 years old. It's 101. He is born a long time ago, lived through a lot was in the World War II, many great stories. He was at the church in Anaheim until about four, five months ago when his body just wouldn't let him make the journey 
on Sunday morning anymore. But getting to know him a little bit, we would go take communion to him, Cree and myself and some of our other staff. We would go, but once, like after communion, we'd go and serve it to him and spend time with him and just, just talking to him. And here's, here's what Leonard would talk about. We want to talk about his health, you know, how he's doing, his blood pressure, all that. And it would quickly turn to the Lord and talk about the Lord. And then it would quickly turn to the church and how he longed to be at the church and how he missed it. And then we'd get to him to talking about World War II or about motorcycles, you know, just riding motorcycles in the 30s. Pretty sure he didn't have a helmet back then, but he lived through it. He had great stories. We had a great time spending those afternoons with him. But on Wednesday, we went to go see him in the hospital. Korea and I went and we prayed for him. But here's some of the things that he talked about. Because here's a guy who had lived to the end. He shined bright even to the end. Leonard told us, you know, during these visits that every day he would read a psalm and a proverb. Because a psalm would teach him how to love God. And the Proverbs would teach him how to love man. And so when he was there, I had read Psalms or Proverbs 16 earlier that day. So I shared with him one of the Psalms about living a righteous life. I'm like, Leonard, you have lived a righteous life. And he just stopped me. And he's like, I can do you better than that. And he quoted off two or three Proverbs that talk about a righteous life. They're just right there. He's quoting scripture to the end. Then he said this. He said, uh, you know, living the Christian life is not that hard, you guys. It's not that hard. He's like, there's only a couple things you need to remember. He said, the first thing is you got to remember the first three words of the Bible. And I said, you mean in the beginning? He's like, yes. Remember those words. And he says, now, you also have to remember the last word of the Bible. I'm kind of going through my Bible in my head. I'm like, amen? He's like, yes. you got to remember those four words, in the beginning and amen. And then he smiles, and he's like, oh, yeah, one more thing. Now you have to obey everything in between. <laughs> obey everything in between. Yeah, that's not hard. That's so simple. It's not that hard. But I told him, I said, Leonard, our church loves you. I've been hearing from people saying that they're praying for you. A lot of people want to come and visit you. And he stopped me. He said, I want you to tell the church this. Tell the church this. Tell the church that I love them. I love the church. I think about them often. And then tell them that I'm praying for them. I'm praying for the church. I'm praying for you. I'd imagine he's been praying that you would let your light shine. That you will keep going even when it's hard. Even when you struggle. Even when you're saying, gosh, I don't know if it's worth it. That you will keep going that you will not give up. I'm so happy to have known Leonard because there's a guy who was faithful to the end and didn't give up and kept his relationship with God right in the forefront. If Leonard were here right now, the question he would ask you is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? I mean, not just do you know his name, have you heard about him, but do you know him? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? 
Have you invited him into your life so that you can become a child, turn from a child of darkness to become a child of light? So that you can shine bright in this world, that you can offer hope to a world that is hopeless. Do you know Jesus? Is he your savior? If he is not, if you felt the nudging, if you felt the encouragement, if you felt that push, I pray that you would do it today. Give him your life. Serve him until your last breath. Leonard and the painted lady butterflies are on a mission. Those butterflies left Mexico. They're heading north. They're going. They're going there. Leonard, though, is also going north, but he's on a mission to heaven. He just arrived. The journey's not easy. There's distractions. There's pain. There's hurt. There's confusion. There's setbacks. But friends, don't give up. Do not give up. Keep on going. Keep on moving. Stay alert. Keep your eyes on Christ. And let your light shine until you enter that, that day when you enter heaven. Let's never give up. Amen.